Okay, let's get started. We are in the middle of chapter 39, and we're dis discussing esoteric ideas, and let's remember why we're discussing these ideas. We're discussing these ideas because we're trying to come to understand the value of kavana, spiritual intent. The value of realizing how this mitzvah or this Torah study connects me to Hashem, how my love and fear drive me to connect to Him through mitzvot. And in order to understand these ideas, the Alter Rebbe brings us so many other ideas. So in order to come to fully understand the value of Kavana, we're going on a spiritual trip. We're looking at worlds. We're looking at angels. And you can say, you know what? Just give me the cliff notes. Why are we going into all these deep stuff? You can just get to the bottom line. But that's not the way of the Tanya. If we are going to come to a deep inner connection, if we're truly going to identify with it, it means we're going to have to fully understand it. And to fully understand it, we need a lot of introductions. So that is the overarching theme of this chapter, is realizing the value of kavana. To that end, we started to look at the service of the angels who serve Hashem innately with instinctive love and fear. And the service of Hashem of the souls who strive to understand his greatness. And with that intellectual awareness, they generate new emotions. And how that puts them at an advantage. And that puts them in a higher space than even the angels. Because angels serve Hashem instinctively. While tzaddikim, or people who meditate about Hashem and generate new feelings in response to their meditation, serve Hashem intellectually. And that puts them in a different world. That puts them in the world of Bria. And last week, in order to illustrate this idea that depending on your spiritual makeup, that's the world where you belong, we looked at a story, a cryptic story, of a man who was a coarse man, lived a simple life, didn't do anything special, didn't keep Torah and mitzvot, but he saved a wagon full of people, and for that he deserved to go to Gan Eden. And yet, because he couldn't relate to that world, they had to reward him based on what he found important, and that was a horse and a wagon. So he's living in virtual reality, riding a horse and a wagon for, you know, until he's released from that state of limbo. But that story calls to mind another story, which I'm going to save for class and then decide if I'm going to keep in the recording. And this is a story that the previous Rebbe told and the Rebbe referenced. It's like an anecdote of looking at the contrast between two different Hasidic followers. One of them was raised with the idea that all you need is a tzaddik to follow and faith. That's all you need. And a Chabad Hasid who was taught to study, internalize, and take personal responsibility for his relationship with Hashem. Now, when I heard this story as a kid, the story ended like this. So this, the Hasid is complaining to the Rebbe and he said, the other guy has the best in this world and the best in the next world. And a Chabad Hasid, what does he have in this world and what does he have in the next world? So the Rebbe smiled and looked at him and asked him in response, and what do you have to say? And he said, I would never exchange my hell for his heaven. And the punchline of the story is actually not a joke. It's very profound. Because what does the other guy's heaven consist of? 
And what does his hell consist of? The other guy's heaven could be like, look at ourselves, comparing ourselves to children. You know, imagine a very sophisticated person. You say, you know what? You do all the right things. I'm going to give you a stash of Mike and Ike's. Or you get to have a pony ride. Or better yet, you get to dig in the mud and make a huge castle. They would rather do things that other people consider hell, such as an intense workout, a tough math test. Because in the one guy's heaven, maybe it looks like bliss, but he has no appreciation of the essence of things. He's living in a virtual reality without ever experiencing the truth. The other guy, even if he's in hell, he knows what he's missing, he knows what he's longing for, and he knows that he'll get it after his health-promoting exercise. But this is, of course, a side discussion, and the main discussion here is, let's figure out the value of Kavana, and, and, and the way we're figuring out the value of Kavana is seeing where Kavana takes a soul into the next world. So right now, we're on page, depends which booklet you have. My booklet is page five. And in order to understand the upcoming words of the Alter Rebbe, let's remind ourselves that there are five levels of, of the soul and three of them that are able to be experienced within a body. So the lowest of those levels is nefesh, and that relates to basic action. Higher than that is the level of ruach, and that relates to emotions, spiritual emotions. And then highest of the ones that are available in a body is the level of neshama, and that relates to intellect. So somebody who lives at the level of neshama has a deep awareness of the divine. Somebody who operates lower than that at the level of ruach has a deep emotional relationship with the divine. And those are the levels that we are discussing right now. And then there's a level lower than that, which is the basic action behavioral relationship with the divine. So now, everything that we said before, that the abode of the angels is in the world of Yetzira, while the abode of the righteous people is in the world of Bria, applies to a specific aspect of the righteous person's soul. And that's what the Alter Rebbe is telling us right now over here. Achainu Dafka neshamais mamish. However, this statement that the abode of the tzaddikim who serve God with intellectual love and fear is in the world of Bria applies only to the actual level of the soul called neshama. The level of neshama being that of intellect, as the verse states, "Venishmas shakai tevinim." The divine neshama will give them discernment. I know it's a little bit different. If you're following along, the translation is a little bit different. That's the way we're translating it for class today. And that is that um, when we say that the neshama of the righteous person is in the world of Bria, the abode of the, 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 abode of the righteous person's neshama is in Bria, we're talking about literally the aspect of his soul called neshama. Because every person exists on more than one level. And this is a very interesting elucidation that Rabbi Steinsatz gives. And he says like this, Because the body doesn't exist in the world of spirituality, and the spiritual soul doesn't exist in the world of physicality, every single person exists on at least two levels. The physical level and the spiritual level. 
And when we say spiritual, we don't necessarily mean holy. It's an important distinction that we have to recognize. Spirituality just means that which cannot be gathered in with the five senses. So for example, love or hatred are both spiritual things. And every single person, even somebody who is morally corrupt, has a spiritual life as well. His world of hatred or animosity is a spiritual world. So every person exists at least at a basic level in the physical world, as well as a basic level on the spiritual world. But as we grow spiritually, we access higher and higher levels and we come to exist in higher realms as well. But even as we grow, there's still a part of us spiritually that exists on a lower world. For example, a very well-developed spiritual person still has to remember a telephone number or the directions to an address. And in that place, he exists in a different realm. So when we say that the, the abode of the neshama of Tzadikim is in the world of Bria, we're speaking about that space of himself, the neshama that relates to that world. That's what exists in the world of Bria. Shehein bechinas meichen de gailos ein baruchu. And which represent a superior intellectual perception of the blessed Einsof. So remember, these people served Hashem with deep intellectual awareness to the point that from their awareness, emotions spring, emotions spring up. These emotions that followed were germane to the world of intellect. They are intellectual emotions. They came as literally welling up from the essence of the being. It's called Reusa Deliba, the desire of the heart. This became a deep awareness that gave these emotions and belonged to the realm of, of intellectuality, belonged to the realm of Chachma, Bina, and Das. However, Aval, Bechinas Haruach Shal HaTzadikim, the level of Ruach of these Tzadikim, Vechein Sha'ar Kol Nishmais Yisrael, Sha'abdu Es Hashem, Bidechilu Urechimu Hamasutaris Belev Kol Yisrael, and similarly, all the other souls of Israel who served God with the natural fear and love hidden in the heart of all Israel, not with the love and fear born of intellect, ascend thereto to Bria only on Shabbos and Reish Chaydesh, the new moon, when all creation ascends to a higher level as it is written, as it is written, every month on the new moon and every week on the Shabbos, all flesh will come to prostrate themselves before me, says Hashem. It is only then that these souls ascend to the world of Bria, the higher Gan Eden. Okay, so the way it works is most souls and also angels exist in the world of emotions. Why do those souls exist in the world of emotions? Why do those angels exist in the world of emotions? Because that's their mode of relationship with Hashem. Instinctive emotions. These people didn't generate new emotions based on intellectual awareness. These people tapped into emotions that they already had just because they're Jewish. And because we're Jewish, we have a divine soul. The divine soul is part of Hashem and therefore it automatically loves him. It automatically fears him. It never wants to be separated from him. Because the soul relates to Hashem in that way, just tapping into its instinct, it exists in the world of emotions. That's its place. That's its makeup. That's the way it relates. And so its garments are of that world. And that's exactly the same as the angels, or I shouldn't say exactly the same as the angels. It's similar to the angels 
who operate based on instinct as well, and they serve Hashem with instinctual love and fear, or instinctive love and fear, and they belong in the world of Yetzirah. Above them in the world of Bria, where the Chachmah, Bina, and Da'as of Hashem shine, that's where the abode of the tzaddikim are. They generated new emotions based on intellect, and so they have a relationship with that world. Their garment is Reusa Deliba, the desire of the heart, which was generated by intellectually produced emotions, and that's where they are. That's the general state of things. However, there's an aspect of the tzaddik, which is his ruach, that's his emotional self, because sometimes he operates out of that space. And then, similarly, the rest of the souls of all of Israel, who serve Hashem out of that space most of the time, with instinctive love and fear, they belong in the world of Yetzirah, they don't go up to the world of Bria. But there are times when they go up to the world of Bria, and that's on Shabbos and Reish Chaydesh, when there's something called Aliyah's Ha'ilamais, the ascent of the worlds. So what is Aliyah's Ha'ilamais? Kabbalah describes the difference between the world of Bria and the world of Yetzirah to the difference between thought and speech. Let's look at our own thought and speech so we can somehow try to relate to that divine reality. In our own thoughts, we think things as they are to us. We feel emotions as they are to us. And there's deep intricacies of thought or very nuanced emotions that stay in thought because they cannot be expressed. That's where the self is much more manifest. Below that, the world of Yitzira is compared to speech. In speech, one person conveys themselves to another. And when they do that, what is speech? Speech is a garment, like we said before, which serves a dual function. It reveals, while at the same time, it conceals. You say some things, and hidden in those words are other things that cannot be, or hidden from those words are other things that cannot be revealed. For a lot of reasons for socially appropriate reasons, and then simply for mechanical reasons. You cannot, you simply cannot convey your deepest self to another. There's going to be a space within yourself that is for yourself alone. And that's the world of thought. So the world of Bria is where the divine intellect shines. And that's the world of thought. And that's Hashem is much more manifest in that world. The world of Yitzir is as if Hashem conveying himself to another allowing room for the existence, as it were, of another. And the divine expression in that world is much more limited, just like speech is a much more limited form of expression than thought. However, at special times, on Shabbos and Reish Chaydash, there's a bending of reality, where even though the world of Bria remains the world that it is, and the world Yitzir remains the world that it is, the divine radiates in a much more manifest way in that world. So it's not like the whole world has changed. The world is as it is, but a new level that it cannot normally experience becomes available on Shabbos and Reish Chaydesh. The general population of the world don't sense it, except for the souls. And then they have this way of accessing something that is normally beyond themselves on Shabbos and Reish Chaydesh. And by the way, a lot of people tell me that they do their best studying on Shabbos that they can understand things on Shabbos better than they can understand on any other day of the week. And you can say, yeah, Shabbos, nobody's disturbing you, and you can't talk on the phone, and blah, blah, blah. That's true, but there actually is 
a special spiritual energy that's available to us on Shabbos that allows us to access things that we wouldn't normally have access to. Yes, Jill. One second, I can't hear you. Well, maybe it's my computer. My computer. That's what it is. One second. Okay, let's see. There we go. What about the Yantivs? That's a very good question. And that question is addressed. So there's two ways to answer the Yantiv question. One way is to say that Yantiv is like Shabbos. For example, part of the argument of the Tzadukim was they said that you have to start counting the Omer on Shabbos because the Torah says, Mimacharas HaShabbos from the morrow after Shabbat. Chachamim explained that Shabbat in that instance means the Yantiv of Pesach. So, so Yantiv could be included in Shabbos or there's another interpretation that maybe Yantif doesn't have the same revelations as Shabbos. But a standard interpretation would be that Yantif is included in Shabbos. So, okay, um, back to where we were. So normally these souls cannot experience revelations beyond themselves. They don't have the capacity. But on these special occasions, the divine revelation from above allows them to experience something that's normally beyond their capacity. Now, there's a story of a chassid of, of the Alter Rebbe. His name was Rebbe Kusiel Liepler. He started out as a simple man. And the first time that he went to go see the Alter Rebbe, he wanted a private audience with him. And they said, oh, no, you can't just have a private audience with the Rebbe. You have to first prepare yourself. And you have to know the chassid of Meshav Velenker, the first time that he came to visit the Alter Rebbe. You know how many years he prepared for that visit first? And he wasn't going to have any of it. So he actually climbed the wall and jumped in through the upper story window. And he screamed out to the Alter Rebbe in Yiddish saying, Rebbe, hack me up the Lincoln site. Chop off the left side for me. Meaning, get rid of my Yitzhahara for me. I don't want to have those kind of struggles anymore. And the Alter Rebbe responded, Master of the universe, it is written, And you give life to them all. And something happened to him after he got that response from the Alter Rebbe. He felt an expanded consciousness and he was filled with joy. But it wasn't a constant state for him. Sometimes he would be in this place where he felt this expanded consciousness. And he would say in Russian, the chassid came. Chassid prishal. The chassid came. He would feel this expanded consciousness. He would be full of joy and he would shout out, Chosid Prishal. And he would daven. Sometimes on those days, he would go from Shachros Mencha Tamar. If he was in the state of joy, he was just davening with this literally the essence of his being. Once he was in the post office when he felt his expanded consciousness and he screamed, the Chosid came. He grabbed onto the mailman and started dancing with him. He was so happy. And then sometimes when he would feel his consciousness diminish, he would say, Chosid Uchiak. The Chosid left. Is that okay? Tell me. Yeah, yeah it's not, it's not on. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. okay. And then at those times, he would struggle. He would literally point into the sitter and focus himself because it was so difficult for him. But there's two things that we can learn from that story. Not necessarily when it was harder for him, was he on a lower level. Perhaps he was on a higher level when he was working against what was going for him. And second of all, we all have our moments 
we're like, the chassid is here and we're floating and we don't want anything different and we're so inspired and everything is the best and we're serving Hashem as if naturally. And then we're like, oh, the chassid left. And then we have to force ourselves and this is hard for me. Nevertheless, we rein ourselves in and we do it. So we all have our different modes and we have to react to those different modes as they are. We have to be discerning. We have to be smart. We have to be a chassid and we have to know how to apply ourselves depending on what's going on. There's an interview recorded. It was reconstructed from memory. It was hours long. The directors of Hillel met with the Rebbe in August of 1960 and they asked him many questions. And one of the questions that they asked the Rebbe was, What's the idea of scharva onesh? What's the idea of reward and punishment? And the Rebbe said, you have to be able to relate to things as they are. To a 10-year-old, you speak to, to a 10-year-old, you speak one way. And to a 70-year-old, you speak another way. You cannot speak to a 10-year-old with the same words or the same concepts that you speak to a, ten, uh, a 70-year-old. And then the Rebbe said, all of us have different modes. This guy, while he sleeps like a five-year-old, he eats like a 17-year-old. And when he's on Broadway, philosophical discussion isn't going to cut it for him. To divert him from evil, you need a good story. And not because, and not because a story is higher, but a story is more effective. To cut a loaf of bread, a physical loaf of bread, you need a physical knife. Philosophical discussion isn't going to cut it. So we exist in different planes. And we are in different modes at different times. And based on where we are, that's the way we need to work with ourselves. So there are times when even a simple person in the higher world has access to higher levels because of alias ha'ilamais, the ascent of the world. Normally, a soul who served Hashem just with instinctive emotions is in the world of emotions, in the world of Yetzira. But as Shabbos and Reish Chaydesh, he ascends higher to the world of Bria. How does he ascend? The Altar now gives details. Derech ha'amur shemigan eden ha'tachtayin legan eden ha'alyayin. Shu'aylam ha'bria ha'nikra gan eden ha'alyayin. By means of the pillar that extends from the lower gan eden, Yetzira, to the higher gan eden, i.e. the world of Bria, which is called the higher garden of Eden. I'm switching between gan eden and garden of Eden. It's the same thing. Gan eden is the garden of Eden. So how does the soul ascend? By a pillar. Of course, we're not talking about a physical pillar because there are no physical pillars in a spiritual world. Let's look what a physical pillar is. A physical pillar connects two things that may be very distant from each other, such as a ceiling and a floor. They're distant. They seem to have no connection, but they do, and they connect through this pillar. So a higher world and a lower world can be very distant from each other, but there is a connecting point, and that's called a pillar in the Zohar. It is through this pillar that a soul ascends from a lower Gan Eden to a higher Gan Eden. So what is Gan Eden? We speak about Gan Eden all the time, the Garden of Eden. What's the Garden of Eden? Our Chachamim tell us, the sages tell us in the Talmud, that what's in the world to come? It's Tzadikim Yoshvin, Ba'atareseim Bereshehen, V'nehanin Miziv Hashchina. The righteous people are sitting, and their crowns are on their heads, or rather in their heads, but that's for another discussion. And they bask in the radiance of the divine presence. So what is Gan Eden? Gan Eden is basking in the radiance of the divine presence. What's the pleasure there? The Altar Rebbe describes a pleasure in the fourth chapter of Tanya 
as Tainug Hahasaga, the pleasure of apprehension. And that expression of the Alter Rebbe is based on the words of the Rambam in Hilchas Teshuva. The Rambam in Hilchas Teshuva writes, Umahu sha'amru hashchina. What is meant by the expression, delight in the radiance of the divine presence? Sheyoidim umasigin me'amitas ha'kadosh baruch hu ma'she'enim yoidim v'heim ba'guf ha'afel ha'shafel. That they will know and apprehend the truth of godliness, which they cannot grasp, while in a dark and humble body. So what is the pleasure of the next world? The pleasure of the next world is knowing Hashem. If there is a higher Gan Eden and a lower Gan Eden, it means that the pleasure is more complete in the higher Gan Eden. And what is the pleasure in the higher Gan Eden? It's knowing Hashem. So the higher Gan Eden is in the world of Bria, and the world of Bria, the knowledge of Hashem, is much more perfect and much more complete, which makes us realize the connection between that's where Hashem's Chachma Bina and Da'as shine. Because his intellectual attributes shine in the world of Bria, the apprehension of him is much more complete over there. So the pleasure is much greater because what is the pleasure? The pleasure is a spiritual pleasure. The pleasure is the pleasure of knowing him. A soul knows him on a much loftier, more complete level in the world of Bria. That's where the higher Gan Eden is. The Rambam in his introduction to Parachelech, to a section of the Talmud, discusses the world to come. And he says, here in this physical body, we can't even understand the pleasures of the world to come. They are constant and uninterrupted. And the soul exists by, it endures with the knowledge of Hashem. That's its food, as it were. That's what keeps it sustained and alive, is the pleasure that it gets from knowing Hashem. Here in this physical world, people chase after physical pleasures. And he says, you know, as we grow, we come to realize that things are better than just physical pleasures. But even so, it's all within the realm of physicality. As long as a soul is connected to a physical body, it cannot even grasp what is available to it in the spiritual worlds. And a person who will think about it will come to realize the baseness of one and the supremacy of the other. So the ultimate reward is knowing Hashem. And because there's a higher Gan Eden and a lower Gan Eden, we can come to understand that the reward of the higher Gan Eden is obviously higher. So what's the higher reward? It's a more perfect comprehension of Hashem. By means of this pillar, these souls ascend thereto to delight in Hashem and to bask in the radiance of the Shekhinah. Such pleasure is the prerogatives of the soul of the souls in Bria, since the soul's delight is from understanding and appreciation of godliness to the extent that a soul is capable of such understanding. Because there is no pleasure or delight for the for the intellect of a created being, only in that which it conceives, understands, and knows, corresponding to Chachma Binach and Da'as, Chabad, and grasps with its intellectual understanding, as much as it can grasp of the blessed Ains of Light, through his wisdom and his understanding, which radiate there in Bria, enabling the soul to perceive godliness. 
For as mentioned earlier, the Chabad of Atzilus, to which the Alter Rebbe refers to his wisdom, refers as his wisdom, his understanding, radiate in Bria, for which reason Bria is the world of understanding. So what does a soul grasp? It can only grasp that which Hashem shines upon him. This is a recurring theme that the finite cannot bridge the gap to the infinite. And while certainly a finite being can come through his intellect to know that there, a creator exists, to know of the existence of the creator, but he cannot come to know the essence of the creator unless the creator shares his essence with us. And he does. And that's what makes a Jew so different than any other human being. Because with the intellect, we can come to appreciate intellectual ideas. Every human being can. And every human being can come to arrive at the truth that there is a creator. That a creator created this world, that he exists. But who can come to know intimately the essence of the creator? Only someone who has that special device to know that. It's not an intellect that arrives at true understanding of the essence of Hashem. It's a divine soul, which is part of that reality that has what it takes to relate to that. Depending on what Hashem shines to a created being, that's the rope by which he can connect to him. In the world of Yetzirah, the lower world, Hashem shines his midot. So Creatures in that, be- in that world can relate to him through that way only, through emotions, because that's what he radiates there. But the highest pleasure is pleasure of knowledge of the divine, as much as a, a created being can, can possibly apprehend. And that is, how could he apprehend that? Only through Hashem's wisdom and his understanding, which radiate there in the world of Bria. So that's how the soul perceives godliness. And perceiving godliness, the soul achieves the highest level of delight. In the world of Bria, where Hashem's Chachma, Bina, and Da'as, the faculties of the intellect radiate, he makes available an intellectual appreciation of him. The souls are able to tap into that as much as they can. And in that, they delight. They bask in the radiance of the Shekhinah. That's what's available to the souls of Bria. And most souls don't abide there. But on special occasions, such as Shabbos and Reish Chaydesh, the souls are privileged to Aliyah Ha'elamais, the ascent of the worlds. They can go up by this so-called pillar that connects these two worlds, and they can appreciate things which they cannot normally relate to or appreciate. With this, the Alter Rebbe concludes his statement that on Shabbos and Reish Chaydesh, the souls of other Jews who had not served God with intellectual love and fear ascend to Bria. Okay, so let's summarize what we said until now, and let's move on to the next section, and that is, who abides in the world of Bria? Who abides in that intellectual world where Hashem's Chachma, Bina, and Da'as shine? Specifically, the aspect of the soul called Neshama, of those people who served Hashem with intellectual love and fear. But in the world of Yetzirah, the Ruach of Tzadikim, as well as the totality of the souls of the rest of the Jewish people, abide because they serve Hashem with instinctive love and fear. However, on special occasions, the Ruach of Tzadikim, as well as the totality of the souls of the rest of Israel, are able to rise to the world of Bria and Shabbos and Reish Chaydesh, and they are able to bask in the radiance of the Shekhinah, 
derive true pleasure from intellectual apprehension of Hashem. So now, how we, now we have a question. What makes souls better than angels? As it's true, all the worlds ascend, but the angels are not privy to that ascent. They don't get the privilege of rising to the world of Bria on special occasions. Souls, on the other hand, they also served Hashem with, with instinctive love and fear. They didn't tap into their intellectual resources and generate new emotions. Or maybe they did, but they weren't able to. They served based on instinct. They belong in the world of Yetzirah. Shabbos and Reish Chesh, they're going up to the world of Bria. Why? What's their privilege? Why are they any better than the angels? Well, for a lot of reasons. But here's one, and this is what the altar is going to say right now. These souls who served God with natural love and fear are privileged to rise occasionally to Bria higher than angels whose abode is in Yetzirah, as mentioned above, never rising to Bria, although they too, like the angels, serve God only with natural fear and love. Why then is their service of God considered superior to that of the angels? Now the altar is going to explain what advantage souls have. Because through their fear and love, the sitra achra clothed in their body is subdued. Here's the difference between souls and angels. Angels serve Hashem instinctively. They always love him. They always fear him. Great. But who's stopping them? Who says you can't? That's the way they are. That's the way they were. That's the way they're always going to be. They don't have an evil inclination. They never have to subdue the sitra achra. A Jewish soul comes down here. Instinctively, it loves and fears Hashem. But go tell that to the body. It's clothed in a body. And the body resists. The body comes from the sitra achra, the other side. It has its own material pulls and desires. So now in order to express itself, in order to for the soul to serve Hashem with instinctive love and fear, it has to subdue the sitra achra. And that is very powerful. When somebody has to struggle and they resist and they plow on and they overpower the other side, they overpower the evil inclination, that puts them in a unique place. That makes them somebody who subdues the sitra achra and subduing the sitra achra is very, very powerful. The Rambam in his, in his introduction to his commentary on Mishnah and to, to Perkei Aves, it's called, famously called the eight chapters, Shemona Prakim. He has eight chapters before his commentary to, to uh, Perkei Aves, the ethics of the fathers. And he talks about the difference between the Chassid Hama'ula, the superior virtuous person, and the Kaivesh Es Yitzray, the one who conquers his evil inclination. And he said, go ask the philosophers out there. Ask them, who's better? They're going to tell you that the virtuous person is better than the one who struggles. But go ask the sages of the Talmud. And they're going to tell you very differently. They're going to say that somebody who struggles and conquers evil is beyond that, who is beyond the person who doesn't have any struggles. And they express this in quite a few different instances. One of them is in Avais, where they said, Lefum Tsara Agra, 
according to the aggravation or according to the struggle is the reward. They also said, Whoever is greater than his fellow, his inclination is greater than his. And then he also quotes Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, who says, a person shouldn't say, oh, I don't want to wear shotness. Oh, I don't want to eat meat and milk. And he gives other instances as well. He should say, no, I, w- I would like to do these things, but I don't because my father in heaven doesn't let me. Now, this discussion is part of a broader discussion because it's not so simple. If somebody already sinned, they have to be careful and they can't say, yeah, I want to because they might pull themselves in that direction. But if somebody never tasted sin, then it's his prerogative to say, yeah, I would like to, but Hashem doesn't let me. And the person who says, yeah, I would like to, but Hashem doesn't let me, he actually is on a higher level because he struggles. So there's something extremely valuable in the struggle that puts the soul at a place much higher than the angels. Okay, so the altar now details how these people resisted the Sitra Achra, the other side, the dark side. Bein bivchina surmeira. Whether in the case of fear, in the realm of turning away from evil, refraining from doing evil, and thereby conquering and crushing their desires through not giving their illicit desires expression in thought, speech, and action. So how do they crush the other side? By one way is through fear. They fear Hashem, and so they don't go and transgress. And when they don't transgress, and they break their desires, their illicit desires, they conquer, they subdue the Sitra Achra. Or whether, in the case of love, subduing the Sitra Achra in the realm of doing good, as mentioned above, meaning actively pursuing the observance of the mitzvot out of love of God, despite the contrary desire of the animal soul, which is rooted in the Sitra Achra. So out of their love for Hashem, they go ahead and do mitzvot, that their body says, no, let's be lazy. Why would we do that? We have other things to pursue. But out of love, they go ahead and they pursue those mitzvot. They go ahead and study Torah. Then they are subduing the Sitra Achra. So there's two ways that they subdue the Sitra Achra. Either out of fear, by not transgressing, or out of love, by actively pursuing. These people are powerful in that they are able to tap into their deepest self despite the urgings of their body. Because yes, of course, our deepest essence is our divine soul. But we have to tap into that place. That's not the natural place where we operate from. Unfortunately, the self that we most relate to is our animal self. When we say, I am hungry, I am tired, I am mad, who's saying that? It's not our divine soul, it's our animal soul. That's the I that we're speaking about. We have an I that's much, much deeper than that. That's our divine soul. But we have to access that. In order to access that, we have to subdue the Sitra Ahura. Angels don't have to do that. And that makes us so powerful. These souls, while in the physical world, had freedom of choice. They might have chosen evil, God forbid. Yet they choose good to subdue the Sitra Achra. So that God's glory be elevated in all the world. The Zohar speaks about subduing the Sitra Achra. And the Zohar says something mind-boggling. I'll read the words of the Zohar. Speaking about subduing the Sitra Achara, 
And this is the praise through which Hashem's glory rises and is exalted more than any other praise. Meaning this service of subduing the Sitra Achra is such a tremendous, unbelievable form of service, so much so that through serving Hashem in this way, by subduing the Sitra Achra, we rise above Hashem's glory is elevated more than by any other service. So think about this. Think about a great tzaddik in his prayer. Doesn't that raise Hashem's glory high in all the worlds? Think about his mitzvah that he performs with tremendous love and fear. How that makes Hashem's glory rise. How that makes Hashem's glory elevated in all the world. Yet the Zohar says that there is a certain form of service that praises Hashem and that raises his glory more than any other service. And that's the service of the struggling man. That's the service of the person who subdues the Sitra Achra. So we're not just speaking about any little advantage here. We're speaking about a tremendous advantage. We're speaking about praising Hashem in a way that no other praise praises Him. Think about all those amazing spiritual trips. This is beyond them all. You wanted to get upset and you didn't. Do you know what a global impact that has? We cannot even fathom that. And who even knows those struggles? Nobody besides us and Hashem. And every time we win, the global repercussions are tremendous. So what puts these souls at a much better vantage point than the angels? They had a struggle. They subdued the Sitra Achra. They had freedom of choice. They could have chose evil, but they chose good. They did it out of fear by not transgressing. They did it out of love by performing. And that makes them incredible because they cause Hashem's glory to rise more than by any other form of praise. With an elevation similar to the superiority of light emerging from the darkness over ordinary light, as mentioned above, by dispelling the darkness of the Sitra Achra, these souls added to the light of holiness. Shlomo HaMelech writes in Kaheles, And I, King Solomon, saw that wisdom surpasses foolishness as light surpasses darkness. And the Zohar asks, Do you really need the wise King Solomon to tell you that wisdom is better than stupidity and that light is better than darkness? But that's not what King Shlomo is saying here. He's saying that I see the advantage of wisdom that comes from stupidity and light that comes from darkness. A simple way of reading into that is after you hear a stupid response to something that was really bothering you and obviously didn't answer your question, and then you hear the wise response, the wise response is much more valuable after you were exposed to stupidity. Or after you're sitting in a blackout trying to get your work done and suddenly the light goes on, you appreciate the light so much more. But it, it's in an even greater way because it's not just that you're appreciating light because you experience darkness. There is a special form of light that comes from darkness. We don't really have a physical experience of that. But the spiritual experience of that is somebody who resists evil and doesn't give in and performs and creates holiness. His light comes from darkness and there's a special quality to that light that's way beyond 
just a regular kind of light. So thus, although these souls served Hashem as angels do, with love and fear that are natural, not intellectual, yet their service rings higher than that of an angel, for the soul acts at a free choice, while the angel is a creature of compulsive instinct, albeit holy instinct. Therefore, it is occasionally granted to the soul, unlike the angel, to rise to the higher God Aden in Bria. And here's a beautiful analogy that illustrates the joy and the preciousness of someone who has to struggle. You might have heard the story before. It's very famous, but I love it. The story is of an old woman who puts on a yoke on her shoulders every morning, carrying two buckets to the well. And one bucket is sturdy. It's complete. She fills it up. She comes home and the bucket is full every time. The other bucket is cracked. And so, yes, she fills it to the top. But when she comes home, that bucket is half empty. And one day, the bucket, in intimate conversation with the lady, apologizes. And he says, you know, I'm so sorry I'm broken. I know you fill me up to the top every time we get to the well. And by the time you get home, I'm only half full. And she said, oh, don't be sorry. Did you notice the way to the well? On one side is full of flowers. I planted those flowers and you water those flowers every time we walk back from the well. And so, no, it's not fun to have a dark side and it is not fun to, to struggle, but something beautiful sprouts and flowers from those struggles that we have. And it's hard to resist darkness, but when we resist darkness and we are people who struggle, we are able to praise Hashem way beyond any other form of praise. This is not a simple matter. This is huge. This gives a struggling person an advantage over all other people. And so let's summarize this last section, and that is, why do these souls get to rise up to the higher Ganeiden on special occasions? They serve Hashem with instinctive love and fear like the angels. What advantage do they have over the angels who do not rise on special occasions? And the answer is, they had freedom of choice. And so they subdued the Sitra Achara. And anybody who subdues the Sitra Achara praises Hashem more than by any other form of praise. This is like light that emerges from darkness. And therefore, they have a relationship with the world of Bria. And the relationship is like this. They didn't create emotions through intellect, but they accessed emotions through intellect. Choice is a function of the mind. So while they did not generate new feelings, in order to access the feelings that they do have, they did need intellect. And that gives them the relationship with the world of Bria. That's why they have a relationship to that world where the Chachma, Bina, and Da'as, the, the intellectual, as it were, faculties of Hashem radiate. So that's the end of today's class. And we're opening up for questions and discussions.